to another episode of Aji Abiala and Igbo Podcast. My name is Ifanaya and I'm an Igbo learner just like you. And on today, we have a super exciting episode for so many reasons. This episode is in collaboration with Mwibo Unite that I'm sure so many of you have heard about. It's an organization in uh, the U.S. and they do such a great job trying to bring together Igbo people, community, um, youth, professionals, hosting so many different events and they have different chapters throughout the United States. Um, I'm here today with Desiree so I'll pass it off to her to tell you a little bit more about herself and this organization and what we're doing today. Absolutely. Thank you, Ibanaya. Um, as she said, my name is Desiree Anya-Soto, and I am co-leading um, the magazine this year for Umu Igbo Unite's annual convention. And to her point, it's an organization that fosters and cultivates what we love, which is our culture, Igbo culture. Um, I think the convention um, this August is always the highlight of the year for many, just because not only is it a place to reunite and gather, but it really allows us a safe space to just be us. And so learning and working with other organizations and bodies such as Evo Podcast is all we're about. And this magazine is to celebrate our culture in the various aspects, whether it be through the arts, through tech, through healthcare and such. So I'm really excited to have this collaboration episode. I think there's just so many people like yourself, myself and others who can relate and have shared experiences. And so seeing people like us on screen hopefully will inspire others. Definitely, definitely. And so I'm super excited about this collaboration. Um, Desiree reached out to hear a little bit more about Igbo Podcast and the story behind it. I've actually had some other people um, who have reached out to me to hear kind of more about what inspired Igbo Podcast, as well as um, kind of like my trip to Nigeria um, to learn the Igbo language that has that was really the catalyst to this platform. So today we'll be this will actually be more in English than in Igbo, and we'll just be kind of talking about uh, the organizations in an interview type of uh, format. I'll kick it off because I think for us as those who work with Umo Igbo Unite and have followed the Igbo podcast from its inception to just to see the magnificent growth that you guys have had. Um, I guess when we hear about that, oh, well, she's a learner, but yet she has a podcast teaching (laughs) others Igbo and it's doing successful. How did we get here? Can you walk us (laughs) to this point? Because I couldn't piece it together. And how did you have the courage to be a learner and also be teaching Igbo at the same time? There are definitely uh, different processes to getting here. Um, But I think first and foremost, it comes from just my love of the culture. Um, I think as with many of us, our Igbo identity has influenced so much of who we are. But um, I know for me personally, not being able to speak the language has made it, made me feel like a bit of a barrier or some difficulty in being able to fully embody the culture. Um, so growing up, I used to like have a notebook and try and like ask my parents to what's this word in Igbo and what's this word in Igbo. And, you know, sometimes that was met with some discouragement, like, you know, go sit down and do something better, or go read your book or something like that. Sometimes it was met with, you know, some encouragement, sometimes uh, ridicule and things like that. So just learning the language has always been something on my heart, but it's always been such a steep um, mountain to try to climb. Um, so for me, I think what a part of this journey has been, um, how I've interacted with learning other language, such as like French. And so in, um, university, I studied abroad in Switzerland for a semester for learning French. And that was like, um, a very changing experience for me in terms of, oh my gosh, I've been studying French for all these years and I can't speak anything with these people. Like, what is the problem? Like, how do I do this? Um, And so I started to look at how to learn a language a bit more deeply after that experience, as well as how to make language learning a lifestyle, which is one of our like models at Igbo Podcast. 
so yeah, so after studying abroad and coming back, I um, started listening to a podcast for French and I would listen to it on my way to work and I would listen to it at work. And I was like, oh my gosh, this would be so great if I had this for, um, they had something like this for Igbo, something that people could listen to um, on the go and, you know, kind of engage in the language without having to be so like strict in the classroom or anything like that. Um, so that's what kind of sparked the idea of we needed an Igbo podcast. Um, but then from there, I started actually kind of learning the Igbo language from a peer. And we would mostly exchange what's like WhatsApp messages. But I felt like I was really starting to pick up certain things. And he wasn't a teacher. He wasn't anything like that. Just a bright young man who loves languages. Um, and loves the Igbo language and culture. So me and this um, young man, he actually can speak a ton of languages, but he's a native Igbo speaker. And he grew up and was born and raised in Nigeria um, in Igbo land. Uh, we would just kind of exchange voice notes. And I think for me, that was um, one of the biggest points of me learning how I would learn Igbo and just kind of being able to interact with the pair, being able to recognize, you know, when I'm answering a question, how this person is answering and then the result of it. So all those little pieces came together when right before uh, starting physical therapy school, I decided that I wasn't going to keep working, that I was going to use this time and go to Nigeria for the primary reason of learning Igbo. Um, I just felt like I'll be spending the rest of my life working. I'll be spending the rest of my life like in and out of school. So why not actually take this moment um, and kind of explore other sides of me that are really, really important. So I went to Nigeria and ended up staying for about six months. And so that played such a paramount role in actually starting Evil Podcast. So first of all, the journey to getting there wasn't so easy. Like I had people who were saying like, oh my gosh, don't do it. You could, you could use your time better. Just stay in the U.S. and work, make money. I had people saying, oh, how are you going to survive? And then I had some people, I'll never forget one of my friends who was so encouraging. He was just like, what is wrong with you? Just go. You're not going to the jungle. Like, calm down. And I had like just a couple of people who were just like, that's a wonderful idea. Go and do it. Um, so it was definitely, even before landing there, it was some personal turmoil and am I, am I making a good decision? So first I would definitely tell anyone who's considering it to, you know, follow their guts. Nigeria has definitely changed a bit. This was in 2017. Um, so there's definitely a bit more insecurity and a bit more things that are really happening, but follow your guts, follow your heart, make solid plans and, you know, make your decision. Um, so first I would say that's like the first part, making the decision to go. Then when I actually went, I did have to make like certain plans on where I would stay. And it had to be places that would be like conducive um, so that I could stay longer. But I think you also have to be realistic about where you're going and what you're experiencing. Like you can't um, be in the village and just be expecting like something that's not constant in the village. You know what I mean? Or this, if you're in a different place and that's anywhere you go in the world, like you are in a different place. So I think prepare your mind that you're in a different place. So you're basically saying if you're going to Nigeria to follow Ifanaya's or your footsteps, it's not Desi December the whole time. You have to actually get in there and be like the locals, right? It's not just you flexing their legas. Yeah. Oh, yes, for sure. Like during that time, it was really exciting because I traveled to um, many states in Nigeria, but I was predominantly in Igbo land. I predominantly traveled throughout Igbo land. I did. Um, that was actually my first time ever really spending um, time in Lagos outside of like, you know, you know, landing there and then going to the East. Yeah. So I did take advantage of that. But yes, it's not, if you're going, I mean, you have to look at your objectives. If you're going to learn more about your culture, if you're going to learn about the Igbo language, it's not in Lagos. Um, yeah. We do have a very strong community there. We do help so much run in Lagos. So not saying um, you can't make it work, but you have to be more intentional about being sure that you're in the Igbo communities in Lagos that you tell those people to know, speak to me in Igbo. Whereas 
when you go back to the East, you still have to be intentional in those things because there's some people who are just like, oh no, the Americana, let me just speak Igbo. But at the same time, you won't be in our niche and the bus driver is telling you, oh, would you like to sit? They're like, nah, bata, bata, bata. Like, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, we're gonna make some people upset because you heard it here first. Like if you're going to learn about your culture, it's not in Lagos, full stop, final, argue with your comments. Don't argue in our comments. It's, but it's true. Like, I feel like we don't embrace going to the East enough. Like. Your culture as an evil man and woman, and I'm happier about myself and I'm saying this is, it's not in Lagos. Like you have to go home and home is not Lagos. Sorry. Yeah, and that's what I would say. That, and I would say one of the beautiful thing about evil people is a lot of us know our villages. A lot of us, exactly. like I said, it wasn't until exactly. I was an adult that I actually ever spent some time in Lagos um, because any other time visiting Nigeria is like how we go straight to the village, you know? Exactly. Um, because that, <laughs> As we were talking about initially, that's really the custodian of our Omenala. Of exactly. Um, so yes, I would say if you want to go on to this journey, make some solid plans. Again, if for you and everybody has different, um, you have to be able to like withstand it. You have to be able to be comfortable enough. You have to be able to. So if all you can do is Lagos, no problem. But make sure that you're in a community of Igbo speakers or you're in yeah. a household of Igbo people who know why you're there in your mission, who can help support you. Um, because again, if I say you can't learn it in, in Lagos at all, this, that would be equivalent of saying you can't learn it in the U.S. at all. And of I don't course, think. yeah. Um, so it's, but it's about a lot of intentionality. But so, but if you're really making that, you know, this decision to pilgrimage to Nigeria, go to the East, um, for sure. And so I went to the East. I'm from Emo State as well. Um, I was based in Oweri and I was really this um, woman, my mom's friend, she had a school, like a, a secondary, a primary school in Oweri in a beautiful home there. Um, but it was, it was modest, but it was comfortable. Um, so I stayed a lot throughout, um, Oweri and my village. Um, I also explored different areas. Um, like I went to Aba, I went to Enugu, Anambra, Oka. It was just, it was just so much fun. Um, I love, love, love Enugu. Enugu is like, I would go back and live there. It's, I love Enugu too. Yes, it's super organized. It is organized. Um, and it was, I would say for somebody who, um, if you need something in the East to, that would mirror a little, that would be a little bit more structured, a little more laid back. Um, I would say uh, go to Enugu. Um, and there are like a lot of accommodations and things that you can work on, find people that you're comfortable with. When you were there, were the locals embracing you? Cause it's different when we come with our families and we spend and we're, you know, doing Christmas for everybody. <laughs> And then it's another experience when you're living there and that little high and the allure of an American in, in the neighborhood is gone. Yeah. Did you feel like people were trying to take advantage of your ignorance? And I use that in a very polite way, respectfully. Yeah. Or yeah. do you feel like people were willing to kind of reach across and make sure that you were good? Yeah. So, and that's why I say that this trip is, I don't know, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life for so many reasons. And oh. as more and more time goes, um, the magnitude of it becomes clearer and clearer to me, but it was, it was amazing for once. I wasn't just the Americana. It wasn't just, you know, bottom Christmas or what did you bring me back for Christmas? This or that. I like literally got to, um, connect with some of some different family members that I hadn't even connect with. And it wasn't in this, I'm a visitor way. It was right. in, it was in this very like eye to eye. Oh, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? What makes you laugh? What are we like? It was just so amazing. I'll I'll never forget even one of my aunts. Um, I went to visit her, and unfortunately, because of the nature of things in Nigeria, you know, aunts and uncles, older, younger, whoever. Sometimes when we come back home, they're like asking, "Oh, what did you bring for me? This or that or whatever." Which is you know interesting because sometimes you're just like, "Wait, I'm the ch the child here. You're the I know, right?" You know, that dichotomy or whatever. Um, but this aunt, I can't, I went to visit her and they like made sure, like they didn't want me to lift a finger and not lift a finger in terms of not do anything, but it was just like, you need water, I'll buy it. You need this, yeah. I'll do it. Like the, it almost allowed us to just be like, you be the aunt, me be the niece. Yeah. Let us be, it humanized the experience 
not just being the visitor from the U.S. for me. So people yeah. actually, people did not try to take advantage of me. People were so um, welcoming, were so caring. And at, even at points, it was like um, people were even less accommodating, not in a bad way, but like, for example, I was just like, I really want to go to, you know, ShopRite or the market. And they're just like, all right, you take this KK, you do that, you do that. Wow, was, that's like, real authentic. Right. And I was just like, you're not going to come with not me. The KK, though. <laughs> yes. And I was like, I was just like, you're not going to come with me. And they're like, um, no, I can come on Friday, but I'm busy today. And I just feel like, oh. when we come in Christmas, is like, everybody's catering. To exactly. Like, like, I can't even catering. wrap my head around this experience like I think it, I would pass out trying to get was, a ticket and getting one I, I wouldn't know what to do it was amazing <laughs> no and some people were kind so I was just like all right take me there first and then like they would show me the routes but then once they showed me yeah I was taking KK by myself and I, oh. even, I even had to be local one time I was surprised at myself like one KK um I told him the wrong way and then he wouldn't give me back my 20 now I was like give me back my <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that is so crazy so it was so was it intimidating at all like this experience because just you telling me the story i'm like i know i wouldn't make it i know i didn't think i, I didn't think i wouldn't make it either so i didn't and i i can be very shy and very reserved i didn't Dang, think I would make it either but um obviously people help you to an extent so like um people taught me like the road like you stop here and then you go here and you just kind of have to do it um because of my accent I, w- I wouldn't talk too much or I'll try to speak in like a Nigerian accent and then since I was learning Igbo I would speak in Igbo and that would kind of help me yeah. sometimes when people didn't notice the Americana swing to my um Igbo I would like be like they know this oh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they didn't like sometimes I literally because sometimes people are like they're they're living their lives. Nobody's worried about you. True, so just like true. you just said, Egole. They're just like, it's 200 naira. Pay me my money and go. You know what That's I mean? It, right? like, no one's, I don't know. I didn't feel as scrutinized despite still having to, at the end of the day, people know you're not, you didn't, you're not from there exactly. Yeah. Like you came from somewhere else. So like, I still had to be smart. So I had to watch what times I moved around and of things course, like that. Yeah. No, man, I was like really out and about taking kick taking, going on bus drives. And then sorry. these are experiences that you can take with you forever, because most of us that live in the diaspora have not had those kind of experiences. That's awesome. No, the magnitude of this trip was amazing. And like the the kindness that I experienced, um, obviously, anywhere you go in the world, there's just those people. But I even remember I had visited one of my aunts in Benway. So that's in the middle belt. Um, yeah. so I was like, oh my gosh, that was literally like going to a whole nother country. Nigeria, and that's the thing, Nigeria is so incredibly diverse and we have yes. no idea. Like we have no yes. idea. Um, but that ride was crazy. And the Middle Belt is a very, very neglected area in Nigeria. So yeah. the road was awful. The, it, like, it, was, it was an experience, but um, there was a, a guy in the bus and he knew that I didn't know my way because the person who handed me off to the bus, this long, long story. Basically, this man couldn't speak, a young man, he couldn't speak English really. And I couldn't speak like pigeon very well. Um, he's from the middle belt. So I couldn't, my Igbo wouldn't help me. Somehow he really like made sure that I got into my my aunt's hands from the different buses that we had to jump to even getting us in Okada. Um, but we couldn't communicate to each other. And it was like that kind of kindness just knowing that I would be stranded because yeah. bruh, I like, I don't know. I'm in another country in Nigeria right now. That's crazy. Um, but the kindness that he showed me was amazing. So it was just such an amazing experience from interacting with my own family to other Nigerians. Um, one thing that I have to mention is it was wonderful too to see like my family members as peers and like start having like those connections just as friends. But also I met different um, younger professionals in Nigeria. Really? It was, yes. And it was so, so inspiring. And that's also part of the, um, the mission behind our Igbo conversation exchange program is that it's young professionals. These people have dreams, these people have other jobs, these people are, you know, they have goals and things that they want to do so it kind of humanizes it like I connected with so many like intellectuals artists sports people this or that and it's just like it was just nice to have friends like real friends in Nigeria not just oh that cousin that you say hi to that kind of knows you you kind of this or that like it just it was just you you found a community and that's 
so amazing. Yeah. I'm so happy that you had that experience. And now I'm jealous. I'm like, dang, like, what do I do? Well, I have six months. I would, I too would like to go to Evo land and figure my life out. That is amazing. And what we're trying to say is that like, I hope that people feel more inspired throughout this process. Just like being able to watch someone who grew up in the same country that many of us have grown up in, had the same experience with limited to no knowledge of the language to come to this point where not only do you have a podcast, but it's successful and it's growing each day. Now you've had an experience where you were able to basically go on a whole pilgrimage back to our home as Nigerians, as Igbo people. And your experience was positive. When we talk about going to Nigeria, it's usually the negative. Oh, the stress, the this, the trauma, the this, the corruption. When we talk about going to Nigeria, it's usually the negative. Oh, the stress, the this, the trauma, the this, the corruption. But there's good, right? Like we're still at the end of the day, there's still love and hope in that country. And you were able to tap into that. And I feel like that is a huge part of how we got to today's conversation. And thank you so much for sharing those experiences. I just feel like, you know, everyone's experience will be different. No one is going to be able to go and do exactly what you did and have the exact same outcome. But I think if you will agree, the main point is don't be afraid to engage with the culture. It's here to, it, it can only be here to help us. It's not to be intimidating. It's not something that is out of reach. It's for us. It's our culture for us, by us. And the only way that you can truly keep it alive is to start from somewhere. Would you agree? 100%. 100%. Can we kind of shift gears towards like, oh, man, not a lot. We all hear that all the time. And to, what would you say, oh, man, not a lot is like, how would we define that as an Igbo body? Uh, oh, man, not a lot. I think it's just, it's just culture. Um, I think one of the beautiful things about the Igbo language um, is that even if you look at our names, our names are like sentences. They're they're whole like phrases and things like that. And a lot of Igbo is descriptive and it's putting together certain things. So omenala, if you break it down, it's like what happens on earth. Um, and so earth is like the the practice of our rituals, the practice of our, you know, all these different things that end up being what we think of as culture. Um, and, and that to me, it's mind-blowing because we're so big as Igbo people on Omenala and culture and rituals, but there's so many Igbo people that do not prioritize teaching their children the language. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make that connection because I feel like we are so cultural, like we are so tribalistic in many ways. And my Igbo people who are watching this, please don't come and start shouting on UIU or Igbo podcasts' pages. But it's facts, like we're so into culture, but then at the same time, we want to form in our houses. Like I remember that are like, no, I want my kids to only speak English. My mom said she grew up that way. Her, um, her father was like, no, you you guys only speak English at home. And these are people that were born and raised in Enugu. So it's just like, for me, it's not clear to me as to why we don't prioritize keeping our language alive. Do you have an idea as to maybe why that is? Yeah, definitely. You just um, touched on a lot of different points. Um, And just to say, saying that we're tribalistic is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with being about like about yourself and your people and those types of things. And despite us being tribalistic and, you know, being about ourselves in the communities, Igbo people are also the most accommodating, even to a a fault, the most assimilating, even to a fault. Um, So there's nothing, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. Um, I would say there's so, it's so multifactorial. Um, Some people, Uh, relate some of this back to like the war and the defeat of the war, kind of having the shame. Um, Other things, honestly, is the kind of the stigmatization that Igbo people kind of have in general, especially in Nigeria. Um, Like I know some Igbo people who, you know, might go by Joe Mike instead of Joe Mike is is whatever, just because it might be harder to get the job in Nigeria when you're known as an Igbo man. And um, And they would be in that Chuku and they'd be calling themselves Kenny. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's, it's quite unfortunate because we could talk for hours about why that is, you know, this stigma, um, you know, this minoritization in Nigeria about the Igbo man, but at the heart of a lot of it is intimidation. We go into places and we we dominate and not because we want to be over people, but because we are like overachievers, because if there's a better way to get something done, we want to be doing it or we'll, you know, try and do that, which is some of our great um, qualities, but hasn't been welcomed, I think, in a lot of Nigerian spaces, unfortunately. Um, so I think that's, part of why some of our parents 
didn't like to teach us the language. Um, I think too, again, um, like how I stated us being accommodating to a fault or wanting to assimilate to a fault. Some people had concerns of, you know, um, not wanting two languages to confuse their child or, you know, not wanting their children to have any difficulty with these new environments. And I mean, to a certain extent, we can't like blame some of our family members, or our parents for some of these decisions, because we don't know how it feels to like just completely move out to another country and try to build a new life and like search for success and all the many factors and things that they have to consider on how to, you know, raise a child. Um, so I try not to blame them too much, but I do try and people who are just really um, ignorant about it to a fault, I blame them. <laughs> but people who are open to like learning and considering the reasons why we do certain things and how we can address it, I think that's a more productive space to be in for both, you know, the native speakers and us, like, you know, the children of them. Hmm. And I mean, honestly, the way you broke it down makes a lot of sense because it's very easy to blame or criticize. But when you realize that a lot of these things have historical and cultural ties, it makes a lot more sense. And, you know, there's a thing I always hear, like personally, I like to say I speak Igbo, but then I'm talking to people who actually can speak Igbo and I'm like, OK, maybe I can't. And then there's people that say, well, I can understand it, but I can't speak it or I can speak it, but I can't read it or write it. And so I guess my thing is with the evil language, I think a number one barrier that even me personally that's tried to like strengthen my skill sets and I'm sure others can relate is not only is it tonal, but then you have the different dialects. And so like my family will speak emo state Igbo, but it's not the same as NBC in the same emo state Igbo. So it's just like, yeah. then don't yeah. even talk about Anambra people or Abia State. That's the whole, I can't understand anything they're saying most times. So it's just like, how do people even tackle it? What's central Igbo and where do we start? Yeah. Um, so I think I love and welcome dialects. It actually inspires me and it actually is something that I find so exciting. Um, I think as Igbo people, we have to understand what it means to be Igbo people. We are a people full of diverse clans of people. Not one Igbo person is the same exact as the next. And that's perfectly okay. Like when you look at our communities, they're diverse. Um, even when we talk about your original question was Omanala. It's not exactly the same across different towns in Igbo, in Igbo, Igbo land, even neighboring towns. Um, so we are already a diverse clan of people. And with that, um, our languages reflect those diversity. As a learner, I look at um, dialects as a plus because it helps me kind of choose between things that I can say um, in my comfort. So for example, that G-H-I for a lot of learners is quite difficult because um, it kind of makes like the sound. But our lovely Anambran brethren, they just say I honestly, <laughs> if I can't get the GHI out sometimes, I'll just say and everyone can understand me. Um, Nina, who's also like leading you, um, co-ing with the magazine, she, uh, we're from the same community and our community says so like we, our negator is the D. Um, so it's quite beautiful to look at the diversity. Um, there's some people that have likened sometimes hearing two Igbo people speak to hearing a Spanish and a Portuguese person speak a language to each other. And it's truly like, it's a very um, realistic uh, comparison. Um, obviously some dialects are closer to each other than others, but some are so much further apart. Um, so I feel like as learners, we need to first start by recognizing what it means to Igbo to be Igbo, that we are actually a diverse group of people with varying clans and varying dialects, varying omenala, like um, different ways that we engage in culture and all that good stuff. Um, and then I also feel like for me, I think one of the best ways of approaching it is first of all, find, find a, a resource that will actually help you stick to learning the language. And then when you have that, that research, go to your you know, custodians of your specific dialect and compare. So for example, when I'm learning something, um, if I learn how to say like 
afternoon is ehihe. And, but I hear my grandmother saying things like ehi or this or that. I'll go and I'll ask her, oh, what's this? What's that? And then it helps me just build my vocabulary. But it was good that I had a place to start that taught me, okay, ehihe is a way that it's said in Igbo. And then I go to my family and find out what is our variations. Um, so I, I just think we need to start embracing it and letting it empower us rather than discourage us. Um, there's some people who are very um, adamant about just learning their dialects. And I completely understand that because at the end of the day, that's the Igbo that you know, that's Igbo to you. Um, but I would just say that sometimes starting from a place where you can continue and then um, use that as your base to getting some of the diversities that is like your dialects is better than just not learning at all because you can't get your specific um, dialect. Now that makes perfect sense. And so if someone says, okay, I want to just start learning today. And I know you said just kind of picking up on where you can and then comparing and contrasting with what you have available to you as far as some of the resources. Um, do you start by greetings? Do you start by names, the alphabet? I know like I know a little bit of French and we start with the alphabet, right? And then conjugation is so does Evo follow that same pattern or is there a best course of action if someone wants to start learning? Yes. Um so again, everyone learns in different ways. Um, so it definitely will vary, but I've found and what I think has been um, pretty successful with the Igbo podcasting. So not only do we do, um, you know, have the free podcast resource, we also have like a um, tutoring program that, um, but our method in how we like organize the lessons and just the flow of things is we do a lot of application based. And that's one thing that I realized in all my other pursuits of learning languages, not just Igbo, that um, I didn't fully take advantage of is really honing in on things that would help me communicate immediately, even if I don't know like the ins and outs of the subjunctive or how to conjugate this and that. Um, there's certain things that you can learn and use immediately and that encourages you to continue to learn and delve into you know what exactly is happening in the language so i've found that that's been a bit more effective so while we do we definitely go over the alphabet though we do it in a unique way through things like you have to know like an alphabet of a language um you know those are like the building blocks to any language um, but I think it's the way that you focus on them. So for example, when we learn, um, when we teach the alphabet um, approach that I have is for the program is that we focus on, for example, the vowel sounds because they are so critical in Igbo. Like I would say, start there with the vowel sounds. Um, and then from there, go to things like diagraphs. Those are letters, those like the GH, the KP, um, basically letters that are there too when you see them, but they make just one sound. Mm. Um, Can you give us an example? Uh, sure, like udampi, um, which is digress in Igbo. It's spelled U, it's spelled in Igbo um, alphabet, O, D, A, M, B, E. So U, D, A, M, K, P, I. That KP is a double consonant, or when you see things like Wede, and it's spelled N W E R E. Yeah. Like my last name is Wanonyeri. It's N W A N O N. Even the N Y, um, and my name Ifnaya um, is the N Y is one letter in Igbo. Hmm, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, what's your name? My name is Desiree. My Igbo name is Namaka. Is what? Namaka. Namaka. Yeah. Okay, you don't have a double consonant. What about your last name? Anya Sodo. Yeah, that NY is a um, diagraph. Really? Mm -hmm. So that wow. makes an N sound. It doesn't make a, um, which is why people sometimes struggle with our names when they try to say, like, for example, NW, Noah, no, it's one sound. Um, <laughs> Interesting. So yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so part of how we do it is that we break it down in kind of the novelties, um, especially for adult or any learner. Um, sometimes I've noticed that people would spend like maybe a month just trying to learn the whole entire alphabet. And then when they learn the alphabet, um, they'll be able to say it, but then they aren't able to apply it to anything. 
Mm. So what we do is like, we'll teach like the vowel sounds and recognizing like what it sounds like in, in words that it's in. Then we teach like digraphs and how you actually produce that sound. Then we um, teach like um, semi-vowels um, with your first name, Nam Amaka, correct? Nne Amaka. Nne Amaka. That N N, that N before the next N, that's a semi-vowel. So it makes like a humming sound, the N Nne. Um, so we teach like those novelties and make it connected to things, which is why I like asked you about like your name or this. We connect it to things that as Igbo learners or just as anyone is slightly exposed to the language, you might have, oh, you kind of saw it, but just never knew what it was. Yeah. So kind of stick in your brain. Um, and then from there, for example, the consonants are so similar to English. We don't spend that much time on that because literally if you know English consonants, you'll know the Igbo consonants. Yeah. So it cuts down making you learn something so bulky without application to learning smaller sections of it with application. So it sticks and it's not yeah. so that you can come and recite the alphabet to me, but so you can actually say a word or you can actually communicate. Um, so again, I think to getting back to just your question at hand, um, of course, with learning any language, you there's just the building blocks to like the alphabets, the vowels, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. Find that in any language, but I think um, our approach and approaches that I think can be a bit more helpful are ones that kind of cut through some of the fluff, um, apply it to how it's actually applicable and um, just kind of make it immediately usable as well as introduce language almost in the way that you learn as a child. Like, so children learn how to start speaking before they even go to school because of some exposure. So yeah. we're very big on teaching like survival phrases. Like, how do you just say, how do you just introduce yourself to me? How do you just say, someone asks you, how are you? I'm fine, and you? Um, we start there and then start breaking things down. Wow. Huh, that, that's really, really interesting. Like, I think it provides hope to a lot of people who feel like, where do I even begin? Mm -hmm. Another thing is the resources that are out there are very different. So mm -hmm. if I'm looking at maybe a guidebook, I may see like it in one dialect. And I think that throws people off too. Or sometimes you're trying to learn with people and they'll correct you because they only know their dialect. So it is a challenge, but to your point, like we've got to start somewhere. Um, and I think like, I guess for you as a teacher, um, what are some common mistakes you see when people are first kind of like jumping into this head first trying to learn Igbo? Um, in terms of the process of learning or in terms of like in interacting with Igbo language? Yeah, like interacting with Igbo language, some of the user mistakes that you see that are common and how we can avoid them. Mm -hmm. um, I often see the digraphs and semi-vowels are really difficult um, for us all. Uh, tones are big things. But for example, like when I mentioned the NW, it's it's a digraph, it makes one sound, but I'll see fellow learners doing things like noeta, noeta instead of muere. Um, or even, um, for example, past tense only have like low tones. Tones are a big thing. It's something that I continue to struggle with. I'm getting a little bit better with my instructors in the program, but it's tough. Um, but like always putting like different inflections. So like, for example, to say, but it's mana, but we'll say like mana. And it just like, it really changes All right. what you're saying when you do that. Um, with tones, there are also things that are spelled exactly the same. Um, but because of the tone, it changes. So like one thing that we're working on with our like group, our group classes right now, um, we talked about like, if I get it right, Angy, which is friend, and then Angy, which is elephant. So mm. exactly the same. That's a perfect example. Yeah, that, <laughs> that confuses me. I'm not even gonna lie to you. <laughs> yes, definitely. So um, I would say, those um the diagraphs and the tones are things that really trip people up mm -hmm. um also Igbo does something uh similar to like French for people who are um kind of familiar with that there's like almost like a liaison of sounds at times mm -hmm. we call it like um which means like the swallowing of vowels so mm -hmm. when you see when you hear somebody say it's actually spelled but people say 
Mm-hmm. Um, or different things like that. I think sometimes it's harder for learners and there's nothing wrong with saying um, and I think it's okay, learners have to be okay with sounding like a learner and being a learner as far as you're saying you're communicating correctly and people are getting it. It's something I have to remind myself too because I'm just like, no, I want to say it like a native speaker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's okay. Either it's very okay as you get um, more advanced and more comfortable, you'll start speaking more quickly and you'll start saying um, So I would say those are some of the biggest um, mistakes that I see as well as um, struggling, areas of struggle. And, you know, it's funny because in that same light, what I found, and I don't know if it's just because of the evolution of how speakers speak the language, but I'll find that, like, a lot of Igbo speakers who are, like, fluent and native, it's almost chopped. It's almost like Igbo-lish, Igbo-glish. Am I making up a word? Where it's just, like, mixes. Like, I actually asked somebody the other day, I was like, how do you say umbrella and Igbo? And they're like, I don't think there's a word for umbrella and Igbo. So is that true? Or is it just people are just kind of, like, mixing it up and it's kind of evolving into like a chopped up pigeon type of language yeah I think it's a mixture um Emo has a lot of book more vocabulary than I think we give it credit for um I'm, I don't think I remember what umbrella is um but I do believe that there's a word um Glebo is definitely an interesting thing that we see where people will say like yeah I'm umbrella like so give me an umbrella exactly <laughs> yeah exactly um, so yeah, I do think the, the language definitely has more bo- vocabulary than we give credit um, to it for, and it is expanding. They are like making up new words. So like there's a word for AC now, I think it's Mutsuyi or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, for example, Igbo is descriptive in places where English is not vice versa. Like English would have like a billion words for, you know, a queen size bed, a small bed, or this type of sofa, chair, couch. And Igbo's just like, Biko Uche. <laughs> like it's just chair, y'all. <laughs> but then um, one thing that I love, and I want to um, put this out a bit more in like the podcast and our like um, Instagram page, you'll have certain verbs in Igbo and English is just the same verb to like to pull, but Igbo is like, are you pulling it out? Are you pulling it up? Are you pulling it here? And it would have a word for each type of thing. Like, are you pulling something big? Now you use a new verb. Are you pulling something small? Now you use a new verb. Um, So I think we do need to just start giving the language, recognizing the language as an entity of itself and its own uniqueness, giving it credit for that, where there are words, for example, like I never knew the word for spoon until like my quote unquote sabbatical to Nigeria. Um, because in my house it's just yem spoon or yeah. <laughs> but it's ungaji and most Igbo people know that it's ungaji but they might not use it as much yeah. um, but it also depends on the spaces because when I went to Nigeria and I was in Igbo land all I heard was ungaji <laughs> um, all I heard was so it just also depends on the spaces that we're in um, I think in the U.S. it gets diluted a bit more because we're around people who constantly have to speak English as well but yeah. also I also know some Igbo households where you can be around some families and they're just like nah all we're speaking is Igbo this is you know people who just their parents who just don't have time for all this yeah. they're just like yeah. <laughs> so it just depends okay well I mean and that's valid because that makes sense too because and I don't know if we really came to a conclusion so when I hear central Igbo some people say that's emo Igbo some people say that's not so what is central Igbo like and why is it preferred by some or many um so I'm not an expert on what breaks it down, but I can share what I have learned and what I've encountered. Um, so I would say that Central Igbo is a mixture of different Igbos. And so um, when I refer to Central Igbo, I'm mostly referring to like Igbo Izubwe, and that's like the Igbo that we use in like um, writing. Um, that's the Igbo that's used in um, like formal things as well as it also can be used for speaking, but everyone kind of speaks in their own kind of way. Yeah. Um, so Igbo is a mixture of a lot. It's a lot of from some Emo say a lot from some Abia. There is some um, Anambra in it, but not as much. Um, I know those are some of the biggest groups, but I think even when you state that, it's important to remember some of the boundaries that we are holding on to, like Emo, Abia, this or that. 
at one point, some of these places were all one state. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so the, um, the biggest thing is that there was a point in time where people came together. It was called like the, um, I think it's the Omu Convention of 19 something, but basically to make a, a ortho orthography of Igbo language that we could use to have a base for writing and communicating. And this is on the international stage. And I think it was wonderful. It really helped um, Igbo to kind of um, have a have a base. Like this is this and this is that. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, not all groups are represented represented it at that or like at that meeting. But part of it was just like some people; those people weren't there or involved in it. Um, yes. Or it might be some other thing. I'm not a historian. No one come from my head. I don't know everything about it. Um, but I would say that um, because, like you mentioned, somebody in emo state in one place doesn't even speak the same as another person in emo state. Um, it's hard to really say that Central Igbo is just from Emo State or just from this place or just from that. It's a mixture from different communities that have been come to that have come together to say this is our standard for writing, for going on international stages, for this or that. Um, and in practice, people speak what is comfortable for them to speak. People speak, you know, what they're speaking in certain spaces. Like I know some Igbo people who. Um, when they go to emo state, they speak in a certain way. Maybe they'll like, you know, jump in with the wary Igbo if they can keep up. But then when they're in a number state, they, you know, switch to that. Um, so people speak in different ways. Um, so I, I feel like central Igbo is great in giving us a base because it would be too hard to try to like say, teaching somebody, here are all the negators. Like, <laughs> yeah, kind of nice exactly. the, the base and that these are some other things you might commonly hear, which is what we do in our teaching. We'll like show this is Igbo Yuzubwe. Well, we often mention a number Igbo because it is very mainstream. So we'll say, you know, the GHI, but you also for a number Igbo is the raw is the negator. Mm. Um, then we'll also mention it could be it could vary in your own place. Now that you have this space, go and ask your parents, your grandparents, whoever you can ask how it is in your place. You might find it's the same, you might find something different, but at least you have a base to start. And I think that's what Central Evil allowed us to do. Um, so I, I welcome it. I think it's definitely helpful. And I think it doesn't limit anyone to just speaking that, um, yeah. but it at least allows us to kind of um, operate on an international scale of this is a, our base this is our standard this is our you know that makes sense that makes a lot of sense and to your point as, just as a reminder not neither of us are experts as far as evil history goes we're having a simple discussion please don't come to her comments <laughs> and start <laughs> arguing with her and don't do it on UIU's comments either so um kind of shifting towards evil podcasts and just like the continuity, because as I mentioned, this is clearly a need, and the more the merrier. We need as many outlets as we can as experts or beginners alike to engage and keep our language alive and strong. And so outside of like normal places where podcasts can be listened to, how else can people engage with Evo Podcasts? What other activities do you guys do or services do you guys provide? Definitely. So um in terms of the podcast, it can be um, asked, uh, assessed <laughs> on any like streaming platform. So Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podbean, any of those things, any where people go to stream podcasts and it's free and accessible. Um, we also have our Evo Conversation Exchange program, um, which is basically our tutoring program. It's, it's un a unique tutoring program in the sense of it's, tutoring instruction, but it's also kind of in this pen pal, kind of like your go-to Igbo buddy, but also structured lessons. So it's very unique. Um, it's, we have it for people of all ranges at their Igbo level. So we have, you know, from people who don't understand Bia, you know, very basic rudimentary. We even have people who are non-Igbos who join the group who just want to learn Igbo to people who are quite advanced and actually could rap an Igbo to you. And you're just like, why do you want, why are you here? But they just want somebody who they can consistently speak in Igbo because, you know, they don't have that access anymore yeah. or they want to start learning, delving into Igbo literature or, you know, kind of be able to 
communicate in detail. Like if someone asked you about your views on something in the world, could your Igbo allow you to express that? Yeah. So it's a really unique program. And another thing that I love about it is that it's, we don't sell, we're not selling any gimmicks. We're not saying that you will learn and achieve all your goals by three months. It, it depends on, it depends on so many different factors on you getting to where you want to be, but we are realistic about it in terms of it's a process. Learning a language is not something that happens overnight. And if somebody who could communicate great in Igbo is still here learning, there's levels to what you might want to learn and where you might want to get. Um, the program is also, it's subscription-based, and so we keep it at a very affordable rate per month with um, different, like a premium and a standard program, and it's something that we have people who have done for, you know, four or five months, people who've done it for a year plus, because for them, you know, they're also just gisting with a Igbo pal. They're making sure that they're still learning and building their skills and um, kind of in a structured way, still engaging in Igbo. So that's one of our offerings that's like our baby. Um, and it's coming out, um, it's already been going on for over a year. And we're, I think we're at almost at two year point since it's been, we've been doing it offline. Um, it's online, but like not on the app. Yeah. Um, but we're launching our app soon, which is the Obudo app. So that's our sister brand that will spearhead the app for that tutoring program, as well as other adventure um, endeavors. So we'll have our audio visual flashcards. So I know that's something that for me, I'm always just like, oh my gosh, I would love it if some of these things I could, I'm learning, I could, you know, flip a flashcard and kind of study it, hear what it sounds, practice that. So we'll be providing that via our, um, the app that's coming out. Um, we also offer just a space on Clubhouse for people to, learners and native speakers alike to engage in Igbo. So we've done reading Bible stories, we've done listening at um, Igbo lyrics and just breaking down those songs. We've done like games, like Two Truths awesome. and a Lie and Igbo, and, and that's completely free. That's so we're so very, very big on building community as well as, you know, upholding the language and culture. And so we do that through the podcast. We do that through the tutoring program that's going to be in correlation with the app and other like the flashcards. And then we also do that through Clubhouse. Um, we're just working on a bunch of other different things that I'm really excited to share. That is awesome. And honestly, like as you you gave me various aspects of Evo Podcast that made it abundantly clear like why you guys are growing at such a rate. <laughs> but I guess my question is because can one expect to have conversation or hear conversations, I should say, where it's more so like this, where it's English-based and you're teaching and, and educating? Is it more so Evo base where you need to have a little bit of knowledge of the language to follow along. Is it a good mix? And what's really setting out Evo podcast amongst the others? Like I said, we need them all. Whether you're coming to, for UIU members, we offer the free monthly Evo classes. Whether you're using Google Translate, whether you have an app, we need all of them. But what sets Evo podcast apart? Because it looks like you guys have a very unique strategy with how you're approaching breaking down the Evo language, but I just want to hear it from you. Um, in terms of what sets us apart, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. <laughs> I think in terms of our Igbo language, I think a big um, thing that sets us apart is the fact that it's spearheaded by myself and some other really amazing people, but um, it's spearheaded by Igbo learners, but also in collaboration with native speakers. And I think what's really unique about that is that um, like our tutors are learn and are trained on how to answer questions and think about questions from a learner's perspective. Yeah. And I think sometimes that disconnect happens. So like a learner will be asking a question, asking a question, and for them, it makes like perfect sense. But then the native speaker isn't getting what they're asking because they, ne they never had to think about the language that deeply or yeah. for them, there's no way you can tell me that any and any are the same thing. When I'm like, bruh, I can't hear it different. I can't hear it. <laughs> um, so I think what's unique about our program is because it's from the lens of the learners um, in collaboration with native speakers, um, we're able to try and meet people at their point of need. Um, and I think that helps gets them, you know, moving to different levels because 
they have people who are really make an effort to meet them where they're at, to understand what they're asking, why they're asking, to understand why they're having uh, so much difficulty with one particular thing and how can we get it to be, you know, stick. Learning a language, you have to make effort. It's not a, um, not one program is just gonna get you to learn it if you don't make efforts yourself. But I think we try and put out a number of resources that make just interacting with Igbo language on a regular basis accessible to all. Um, and that kind of helps because you need immersion with any language. You need to be able to hear it, see it, have the words come out of your mouth pretty frequently for it to really you know, sink in. So I would say those are some of the, the unique things about our program, like our commitment to really meeting people where they're at, our commitment to putting out a number of resources, free and paid, to help create um, an immersive experience. Even our tutoring program, um, it's not just tutoring. We have a very unique, um, what we call immersive plans, small tasks that you do throughout the week to engage with the Igbo language. So it's very, very thought out um, and about like how how the learner can actually succeed, how the learner can actually make with, you know, a schedule with a huge, you know, schedule, how they could actually engage in Igbo and have fun in the process because learning any language is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And if you're not enjoying it, if you're not having fun, if it feels like such a tedious task, it's going to be harder to keep up with it. Yeah. So these are all the types of considerations that we do and the things that we offer that I think helps us stand out. Absolutely. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And, and I can, to me, I feel like just speaking with you, listening to the podcast episodes, I feel more empowered to take my levels to take my skill sets to even the next level. Um, But for others, like for instance, like UIU, a big, I mentioned a big thing for UIU is to ensure that we protect, we gatekeep our culture so that we can pass it on for generations to come. And there's an overlap in our audiences, right? So everyone in the Igbo, um, Igbo, we're we're your audience, right? So what advice can you have for the listeners and the viewers uh, for this episode who may feel like, you know, I may not have the time or I may not feel like there's anyone to really practice with or I don't know what is even the best course of action or what do I do when the hype of UIU has died down and how do I keep that momentum and that energy going? What advice do you have for our, our community? Um, I would just say to plug in, take a step, like um, going to the, um, the convention, that's a step to be around different Igbo people, be around the culture. Um, it's just important. I feel like sometimes we get so bogged down looking at the full picture that we don't take any steps. So just take a step, whether it's going to a convention, whether it's playing an episode, whether it's reaching out about to any tutor. Um, obviously I stand by our program and you can definitely reach out and we'll get you connected um, and start you on lessons. But any tutor um, that you feel like can be helpful, take a step, get started. Even if, and not every program might be the best fit for you. So be okay with, you know, redirecting, um, learning about how you learn. Um, so I would just really say, take that step. And also take a step of engaging a bit more in some of the resources that you have, like your family. Um, I think it's really hard to kind of just use your family I feel like I've seen more success. And when you have a tutor, you have a program behind you, it gives you guidance in how to better use your family to help, how to like, okay, I learned this phrase or I learned this. Let me go to my mom now and try my best to like speak it with her. Or let me go to my dad now and ask him, oh, how do we say it in our dialect? Like it gives you a way to actually engage in a direct type of um, way. but honestly, with anything you do in life, you just have to take that step, like start something and then just keep taking that steps, you know, and it's okay to like, oh, this wasn't as effective for me. Let me try something else. But you just kind of got to get started. Awesome. And I would like to close out by saying, like, how can we stay in touch? How can your viewers and your listeners that are coming by the UIU lane that may not have heard of Ewell podcast before today's episode, how can they stay in touch with you? Uh, yes, they can follow us on Instagram at Igbo Podcast, or they can go to our new sister brand page at obodofullcircle.com. Obodo is spelled O-B-O-D-O, then F-U-L-L, circle. Um, 
you can also email us at ebopodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I think those are some of the best ways to reach out. Um, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much again, Ethan and I, for sharing your experience. You know, it's one thing to see it on paper, but I feel like this was one collaboration for the magazine that needed to come to life. And I really appreciate your time. I think our viewers, uh, we're going to share this episode is launching at UIU during that weekend. And so please be on the lookout. Um, I think this is something that a lot of people will really relate to. And I hope that we get positive reception for some of these comments. Again, we're not experts. We're just discussing. All of us are here to learn and grow together. And this conversation was super helpful in that. Yes, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for reaching out. And thank you so much to Umu Ibo Unite. I really love what you guys do and stand for. And I think it's so beautiful and so encouraging um, how impactful our Igbo culture has been to us that we have all of these different um, platforms that exist and that are even coming out that just want to celebrate that. I think it, it speaks to our tenacity as a people. It speaks to our resilience as a people. Um, I actually don't see many other, I'm sure they're out there. Obviously, I, I see what's in my you know view, but I don't see many other um, communities that have these type of huge organizations like we will unite. So I, I, again, I think it speaks to that emo spirit that we love and want to keep alive and keep growing. So I thank you all for what you do. I thank you for your time. And um, thank you for this opportunity to share a little bit about my story and the Ebo podcast brand. <laughs>